I hope you enjoyed that time of worship. Uh, it really spoke to me, and I, I just really appreciate our worship band. And for the amount of hours that they put in, everything that they do, we're honestly blessed with uh, who we have, not only leading worship, but everyone playing an instrument. So uh, thank you, worship band, for everything that you've done. Uh, so as I said earlier, my name is Drew Lang, and I am the youth pastor here at Golfside Church. And I want to give you guys a life update that I just had. I got married, and if we could just throw that photo up there, uh, her name is Audelyn, and man, she is beautiful. Like, man, I love her so much, and I, I'm so glad that uh, she said yes, and uh, we got engaged and married, so it's been awesome so far, and I, I'm just so thankful uh, for who she is and for just being able to be a part of her life right now. So let's just get right into this message, and I'm going to go hard, I'm going to go fast, and we're just going to go right in. So I have a question for you. How long does it take for you to think of someone that makes you angry? Maybe someone that made you angry recently. How long does it take? Five seconds? Ten seconds? Maybe for you is a full minute. Maybe if you are like me and not as blessed, it took you about two seconds and then you remembered someone that just got you angry recently. So I want to talk about a second question. When was the last time that you remembered someone that got you angry in high school. Now, I'm not talking about the kids that are in high school right now. I'm talking about you as a parent right now. Did it take you five seconds? Does their name keep coming back up? Do you just keep thinking about someone that really hurt you in high school? You know, I, I know for me specifically, when I'm asked questions like this, I'm thinking of one situation where I was given the opportunity but set up for failure. And how do you react when that happens? So today, that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about something that is often not talked about in the church. We're going to be discussing a topic that can be very near and dear to a lot of people. And it can be really painful to discuss. So let's go into scripture. Today's scripture is going to be Genesis 4, 2 through 7. And I, I want to give some background, some context on what we're talking about. Uh, Genesis 4, 2 through 7 is a story about Cain and Abel. And Cain and Abel were the two first sons of Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve were living in the Garden of Eden. Everything was perfect. Everything was great. And they were given one command. Do not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Just one command from God. And they broke that command. And their perfect lives changed forever. And they were thrown into a world of sin because of their disobedience. So now they're in a world of sin. They are no longer perfect. They no longer have access to God. And they have two kids named Cain and Abel. And we're going to continue the story right here, Genesis 4, 2 through 7. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd, while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. And Abel also brought a gift, the best portion of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift. But men, watch this point right here. This is important. But he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry. And he looked dejected. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? And the Lord's actually confronting Cain in this moment. And listen to the Lord's response. Because I don't know about you, but when I first heard the story, I didn't expect this response. You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, 
then watch out. Sin is crouching at your door. But watch out, sin is crouching at your door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. And we're just going to go back to verse 5 and where we really want to start today. This phrase is so interesting, and it says a lot about Cain and Abel. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Today, we're going to be talking about resentment. We're going to be talking about bitterness and what that can do in your life. And it's going to start with a very, very simple question, and we're going to put it up on the screen. When someone else does better than us, what do you do? What is your reaction? How do you act when someone gets something you don't want? Usually, you have a few different reactions. You can act in a different way. And for Cain specifically in verse 5, he immediately became dejected and he went to bitterness. Has that happened to you recently? Now, there are three ways that you can become bitter. The first one comes from this, past hurt. That someone has hurt you in the past. Maybe you trusted someone with a monetary value, a decent amount of money, or maybe in an apartment. And you were expecting that they would uphold that trust. And they didn't. Maybe you told something to your friend in confidence, and you were expecting that no one else would know. And the next day you found out they stabbed you in the back. Or maybe it's deeper than that. Maybe you gave your heart to a lover. And you swore, you told yourself, no one else will break me again. No one else will make me feel pain. And what happens? So maybe it's been past hurt. Maybe that's been you. And it's just been gnawing in the back of your head. And usually there's two types of past pain. It's the immediate chunk and hole in your heart that's just carved out. Or the second and most sinister, a small nibble, slowly taking away pieces of your soul. So maybe that's you. You've had some past hurt, and your response has to become bitter. But maybe that's not you. Maybe you are the second response, and you have justified anger. Justified anger in your life. Now, this one is a bit crazier because you have assumed that because of what someone has done or because of the way that they've treated other people that you are completely fine with being angry and holding on to that against them. That everything that they do, just you, you want to see them pay. You want to see them get what they deserve. And you've held on to that. And slowly but surely it has taken pieces of your soul because you held on to some anger that you feel like it was your right to, that you deserve to be angry. But maybe that's not you. Maybe it's the third thing. Maybe you have been easily offended. Now, with what's going on in the world right now today, I, I need to make a very important clarity on this point. There are, should be some things that you get offended about, like injustice. You should be offended by that. Like racism, you should be offended by that. When people's human rights are violated, you should be offended by that. 
There are things and standards that we should have in our lives where when they are crossed or when we see, when we see someone else abusing them, we should get angry. We should be offended. But that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about you've had a long day and one small comment makes you just blow up. I'm talking about you don't know why, but whenever someone talks, it just gets you mad. That's what we're talking about. So maybe this is, this may be you. You might be past hurt. You might have justified anger in your life, or you might have been easily offended. And, you know, if I was going to take a guess on where Cain was, he was probably easily offended because the moment that things did not go out the way that he, that he planned, he got angry, as it says in verse 5. Now, the weird thing about this, though, is not that he got angry. It's actually that God didn't accept his sacrifice. And if you don't understand or know Old Testament theology, uh, let me just give some extra context on that. Because there are a, a variety of sacrifices that you could give in the Old Testament. And both the ones that Cain and Abel both gave were completely good. They were different sacrifices, but they were accepted by God. So why? Why did God not accept Cain's sacrifice? I mean, for, for some of us that read this the first time, it's almost like the first question that comes out. Like, I mean, he, he, gave, he sacrificed to you. Why, why didn't you accept it, God? And, and, and man, th- this is such a good point. Like, you need to hear this right now. Like, yeah, this is the entire gospel watered down in one sentence. You need to hear this, okay? It's so simple. It wasn't the gift. It was his heart. It's not what he did, it was why he did it. Because when he, when he gave his sacrifice, you can almost see it in verse 7. It, it, it's, it's just like God hints it right here. It's, he says, you will be accepted if you do what is right. You will be accepted if you do what is right. And it seems like that if the sacrifice was correct, if he actually gave the right sacrifice, but God still said that he would be accepted if he did what was right, which implies that he did something wrong, then there should be something else that was wrong there. And it was his motive. It was just his flippant response to give the bare minimum. I mean, like, I just got newly married right now, and could you imagine if I came home and gave my wife half of my time or half of my attention, or maybe like half of my money or half of my stuff? I wouldn't have half a wife. I would have no wife. (laughs) She wouldn't stay with me for long. Because that's not what she signed up for. When she accepted the ring and put it on her finger, she wasn't accepting half of me. She was accepting all of me. Your wife doesn't want half of you. Your wife wants all of you. And in the same way, the king of the universe, the God that died for you on the cross, doesn't want half of you. He wants all of you. He doesn't want your scraps. He doesn't want the small amounts of time that you can give because you got nothing else better to do. He wants all of you. And he wanted all of Cain. And Cain didn't do that. And very rightfully so, God called him out on it. And if we can just go back to verse 7, there, there's a small nugget at the end of verse 7 that you, you need to get. Sin is crouching at your door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. And in the story, Cain does not do that. He does not 
subdue this sin. He does not subdue the anger in his life. He gives in to bitterness. And it caused so much destruction. It caused so much panic that his life was literally never the same. And I want to illustrate like this. One of the games that I actually like playing a lot is uh, Jenga. And I started playing this when I, was in, when I was five years old. And, I mean, my dad, when he would play this, he always found the craziest ways just to mess with me. Like, he, he, like example, one time he, like, took almost the entire base out except for one section. And then he got another Jenga piece and, like, flicked that section off. So the entire, uh, like, Jenga thing fell, but it was still standing. But it was, like, really unstable, and I was playing right after him. And I knew that in that moment, I basically just lost the game. Like, my dad was really creative with this type of stuff. And I love Jenga. Uh, The only thing I don't like about Jenga is when they have a Jenga set at a restaurant because there's always those kids that play it. And then one, one of those kids, every single time without fail, places a piece in the wrong area, and it falls, and it's the loudest noise ever, and it's so annoying. And that I, don't, I like Jenga, not in restaurants, but for those of you that have never played Jenga, it works like this, okay? The goal is to remove things from the structure and place it on top. And you keep doing that until someone removes something, and the structure does not stand up, and it falls. That person is the loser, everyone else is the winner. So it looks like this, okay? You take a piece out, right about, you know what, this will be a good one right here, and you just put it on top. And it it works like that. You just keep going in that same area. And the funny thing about Jenga is that you are removing a section of the foundation of this building, and you're replacing it and putting the exact same weight on the very top. Now, what does this have to do with anything? Well, oftentimes, when we deal with past hurt, when we deal with justified anger, when we deal with being easily offended, and someone has hurt you, they remove a section of your heart. Your foundation is not the same, and instead you're carrying the weight of that past offense. That's what bitterness does. And... You know, on the outside, it looks like the thing is still standing, like it's completely fine. Nothing's wrong with this structure. Like, you could go on a while, and, and you could still play the game. But slowly and surely, someone just takes a piece out. And like, I want you to understand, I know for a fact that someone hurt you. I know that someone took a piece of your heart. I know that someone did that to you. But like in verse 7, have you filled that hole? Because even if you don't fill that hole, what you don't realize is if you hold on to that bitterness, if you hold on to what they did, you're hurting your foundation and you're placing the weight of that action right on top. And it may seem fine for now. And you can do that a few times. But there comes a certain point where someone messes with you too hard. Or they try to do something and just and the entire structure falls down. Where you hit that limit and you go overboard. And what you do or what you say not only hurts you, but everyone else around you. 
And, and the crazy, sad thing is that this could have been avoided. It didn't have to be like this. Cain didn't have to do what he did. He could have been just fine. The story could have ended there. But he held on to bitterness. And in the next verses, he kills his brother. And in the very next verse after that, God himself confronts him. And he lies to God. How many of you have lied to God or to yourself? Saying, you're fine, that it's not that big of a deal. Holding on to bitterness like it's a trophy. Not realizing that you're only hurting yourself. I've heard it said like this, that being bitter is like drinking poison and hoping that that poison affects the person you're mad at. What have you done? In verse 7, Cain chose to hold on to his bitterness to not fill the hole in his heart. And this is why emotional health is so important. This is why it's so important to surround yourself with good, wise mentors. This is why it's so important to have a transparent life because you will avoid this situation. So what about you? Have you filled the hole in your heart? Have you allowed bitterness to take root? Hebrews 12.15 says it like this. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Now how do you fail to obtain the grace of God? That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it many become defiled. Now th- this, is, this is good. Like check this out. Bitterness is a root. It's there. Like a root of a tree. It's underneath the surface, and you have no idea that it's there, but it's there. Like that Jenga set, if you remove the piece, you may, the structure may be still standing, but that bitterness is still there in your life. And if you allow it to, it will grow. And once it springs forth, it'll cause destruction for you and for everyone around you. And it can greatly hurt what God has for you. Is that God's best for you? I don't think so. Is that what God has for you? Is that what God intended for you? I don't think so. But if you allow bitterness to be in your life, if you hold on to it, if you don't fill that hole, it will destroy you. But here's what I want you to understand. I I know that's a hard thing to hear. I know it's hard to hear that if you don't fix this, it will hurt you. But here's why I want you to understand. Above all this, and this is the underlying beauty in verse 7. We're going to put it up again. This is the underlying beauty of it all. You must subdue it. You have a choice in the matter. You're not stuck alone. You're not stuck alone trying to face this. You can subdue it. You can conquer it. You can fill that hole. You're not alone. But oftentimes when you're in that moment, It feels like that bitterness is something that you just can't fight on your own. And I understand that. Like I said at the very beginning of this sermon, I had an opportunity, but I was set up to fail. And I was given an opportunity to put on a theater production for my old college. And man, I was so excited for this opportunity. But I lacked the resources. The 
people that hired me to do this one never actually gave me the resources to succeed. And then when it didn't succeed, like kicking a man while he's down, they blamed me for it. They don't give me the resources, and then they blame me for the problem. And I'm just kind of like here, not knowing what exactly happened, trying to like pick up the pieces of this whole, this, this whole theater production, and I get angry. And I allow myself to get bitter, and I start to blame the people that asked me to do the thing in the first place. I mean, it was just a, a lapse of communication, but I was so angry. And three or four months later, I was still holding on to that. I couldn't look at the people that hurt me. How dare they? What have they done? And four months later, I was just tired of being bitter because the weird thing about being bitter is that it just gets you exhausted. You're constantly fighting everyone. You're constantly fighting the world. And I I was so done with it. So I went up to a mentor, an older gentleman around the age of like 65, I'm like, man, if this guy has been through so much life experience, like he, he must understand. He'll give me the secret sauce, the secret wisdom. So I, I explained to him the entire story. And I'm like, okay, man, <laughs> what do I do? And he pulls out his Bible. I'm like, okay, good start. Let's go. And he pulls up a verse. It's Matthew 5, 44. And he's almost, he like tells me sarcastically to read this. And, and it says this, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And then he looks at me, and he has like a grin like on him, and he's like smiling. And then he says, semi-sarcastically, but with all like truth in mind, he's like, why don't we do what the Bible actually says and pray for people? And I'm like, it can't be that easy. Prayer? Like, you don't understand. I've been fighting this bitterness for literally four months, and it's that simple? So I took up this challenge, and every day when I woke up, I prayed that, man, I, God, I pray you bless those people. I, I understand, like, I know that it was just an unfortunate circumstance. And man, Lord, I pray that you bless them. In fact, I pray that you give them a raise. In fact, I pray that when their time is done at this college, that they get an even better job. In fact, I pray that you bless them so hard that they know it was from you. And literally two weeks after that, my bitterness was gone. Something that I was fighting for, for four months, gone in two weeks. Because instead of fighting it alone, I asked God for help, and then I filled that hole in my heart. And man, I just want you to understand this today. You do not have to fight this alone. You are not alone in this battle. You are not alone in this situation. The same God that raised his son from the dead. The same God that created the world. The same God that parted the Red Sea. The same God that healed a man of leprosy. The same God that healed a man from blindness. And the same God that stayed dead for three days yet rose again. The same God that has done all of that is here for you. This situation isn't bigger than him. You got the God of angel armies on your side. Do you realize that? So we're going to end this with a very simple command. It's Ephesians 4.31. And it goes like this. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Now, don't miss the very simple command. Get rid of it. 
get rid of it. It no longer controls you. As it says in Romans 6, 7, and 8, you are no longer controlled by sin, so just get rid of it. But will you do that? Will you do that command? Like, please take what I am saying right now. You do not have to be controlled by bitterness. The situations that destroy people do not have to happen to you. But will you accept that? Will you allow God to fill that hole in your heart? I want to pray for you today. And no matter if you've been holding on to this anger or bitterness for a couple weeks, or maybe it's been 15 years, and you don't know why, but it has sucked the life out of you, I want to let you know, that's not the end of your story. There is more that God has for you. So as I pray today, I want you to know, I just want you to pray in the same way and know that God is already starting a work in your life and from this moment on, you are someone new. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are, that you're the God that never gives up, that you're the God that always loves, but you're also the God that moves us closer to you. And oftentimes, when we ask you to reveal to us what we're really struggling with, it's, it hurts. It's painful. But you do it all in love. So Lord, I pray for everyone right now that is dealing with bitterness, that feels like that they just can't go on, that feels like that there's been something missing in them for a long time now. Lord, I pray you fill that hole. They are no longer a slave to bitterness. They are no longer a slave to their former self but they have freedom in what you've done on the cross. Lord, I thank you for what you've done. But Lord, I praise you for what you're about to do. Amen.